Hey, are you ready to talk about meaningful work, how to generate income in creative ways and how to live a life that you truly love? Well, stick around. We're going to dive in. Got some questions like this. My new job doesn't include my passion, my talents, or much money. So what do you do when you need to generate income, but the available jobs don't seem to include any of those three critical components of meaningful, purposeful, and profitable work? We're going to take a look at that and more. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome in. If you're new to this podcast, you may be wondering why 48 days? What's the magic, the science behind that? Well, there's a lot of magic, perhaps not as much science, but it comes from a book that I wrote, 48 Days to the Work You Love, that continues to guide people, inspire them, hopefully, into new ways of creating income and finding work that really matters, either finding it or creating it. But 48 Days came from years ago. It was early when I was working with people as a coach in this career area, and I got frustrated with people who we'd work out a plan, exactly what they needed to do. And I talked to them a year later, and they hadn't done anything. And I'm like, what's up with that? Well, you know, I'm waiting until the kids graduate from high school. I'm going to wait until we pay off the mortgage. I'm going to wait until we finish paying off our student loan debt. It's always something waiting on circumstances to be perfect before taking action. I thought, this is nuts. There's got to be a timeline where we can expect people to go through the process of evaluating what the options are, doing a little bit of research, you know, creating that plan and taking action. So it was back when 48 Hours was becoming popular as a TV show. So I just arbitrarily thought, well, it's it's an unusual number. It's not 30, 60, 90, 120, 180, those normal kind of increments that we think about, 48. It would get people to stop and think, why 48? And that's exactly what happened. I mean, when I used that, it was like somebody poured gasoline on everything that I was doing because people did immediately ask, you mean I really can change my life in 48 days? And my response then, as it is now, was always, yes, you can if you create a plan and act on it. So that's the motivation, again, it wasn't scientific, but whoa, it has worked like magic. And I do think it's enough time to go through the essential process of identifying where are you. Just clearly identify where you are. Then get the advice and opinion of other people whom you trust about what your options are. Go through those options. Evaluate them a little more carefully. Narrow down to three or four. Do a little bit more research. Then choose one and act. And that's a process that can give you the confidence to move forward. doesn't mean that those other ideas weren't valuable or good or that you might return to one of those sometime in the future. But you can't do everything. And to really move forward with confidence, you can narrow down, choose one, and act. And that's a process you can go through in 48 days to select the next job, the next career, the next business. You can also use that to you know buy a house, buy a car, or whatever. It's just a process to go through that process, that step-by-step process, but certainly limit yourself to 40 days. Don't get stuck in indecision. This is a place here we don't like indecision. We don't like normal. We don't like ambiguity. This is a place where those all come to get 
cut out totally. So indecision is the greatest thief of opportunity. Don't get stuck there. That's why I encourage you to move this through this process in 48 days. Well, let's go into some of the other questions that we've got. Somebody asked, what are some careers, both traditional and entrepreneurial, that a high I person on the disc profile would excel at? All right. Another person, how can we motivate and keep our older employees? Here's one. I'm 56 and just lost my job. I'd like to never work for someone else ever again. Another one. I'm 56. I just started a new job. The work is not my passion, doesn't utilize my talents. It certainly doesn't make much money. And there's also no future advancement. All right. Obviously, we've got a whole lot to unpack. Our quotation comes from Steve Jobs, who said, the only way to do great work is to love what you do. And I really believe that you cannot be excellent at your work if you don't love what it is that you're doing. All right, these are real questions. You got a question? I'd be honored to have you shoot it in so we can share it here, unpack it together in ways that hopefully will inspire you, the writer, and also others who are listening, which is the way it typically works. So if you go to 48days.com slash askdan, you can leave your question there. Now, a resource today, I want to start out with this because there's important kind of timing with the resource I want to share today, and that is our goals worksheet. Now, we do this every year. It's totally free. We update it every year. But if you go to 48days.com slash goals, you'll see there. You can get that worksheet and start working on it. Here's why I want you to start working on it. Because my encouragement and my personal plan is to have my goals all clearly outlined in seven different areas of my life by November 14th. Now, why November 14th? Seems like an odd time. Well, that just happens to be 48 days before January 1st. And I know the magic of having that kind of clarity on November 14th. Because if you have clearly identified what your destination is, what your goal is, what you want to accomplish in 2023, it's amazing what will happen between November 14th and January 1st. And you'll be surprised at how things just start happening. If you want to read 15 books in 2023, you'll be surprised by your eagerness to get started in such a way that you may have already read two before the new year actually gets here. In the same way, other things, if you want to lose 20 pounds, the motivation and the clarity about that goal, you may lose 10 before the new year starts. We've seen that happen again and again and again. So why am I promoting that right now? Because I also, if we think about November 14th, I want to give you a little bit of time to work on that. And I consider again, 48 days to be a reasonable time to work on your goals. Well, guess if we back that up where we end up, we end up September 28th. So September 28th is 48 days before November 14th, which is then 48 days before January 1st. So that's the sequence. I encourage you to get started right away. Don't wait on that. Again, go to 48days.com slash goals, get our free worksheet. If that helps you, if you got some something else that you're doing, I mean, that's cool, but uh, th it's a way to uh, kind of help you clarify what you want to have happen in those seven different areas of life. Now, one of the things I ran across just recently, this is a scientist at Texas A&M studied 300 students 
using standing desk and found that their cognitive engagement went up by 12%. Now, what happens when you stand up? You breathe better. You have more energy. I mean, when, when I am coaching people on how to do interviews, I tell them, if you're doing a Zoom interview or you're doing a phone interview, I don't care if they can't see you, stand up. You'll be more confident. You'll speak stronger with more projection. You'll have more energy. You'll feel more confident just by doing that. So take your opportunities to stand up. I mean, it turns out the old adage is true that we think better on our feet. And we really do. Even if it's just a break that you need during the day. Now, I have a desk. It was not ultra expensive, but it's a a desk that I just push a button and it comes up to an a standing position. So I can vary during the course of the day. And of course, when I'm doing the podcast, I'm always standing up. I would never think of doing a podcast sitting down because I know the very things that I just talked about there. Just for what it's worth, a little tidbit there, if you get a chance to stand and you're going to be presenting yourself, presenting an idea or presenting your resume, your background, make sure you use the opportunity to stand. It'll help you. might give you the little bit of edge that you need. Well, Adam says, thanks for peak week. I particularly found the who are you and why are you here? Monday mentor call with you and your daughter, Ashley, incredibly illuminating. On the disc profile, I'm a high I. And while I'm not salesy, I've been very good at building relationships in the past as a water restoration marketer by seeing the same insurance agents and adjusters on a regular basis and getting great referrals. Eventually, though, I did grow bored of that and became then a project manager and estimator. Your description of the salesperson being a high D and an account manager being more of an I on the scale really resonated with me and makes perfect sense. What are some of the careers, both traditional and entrepreneurial, that a high I person on the DISC profile would excel at? Thanks for what you do. Sincerely, Adam. Well, when you talk about being salesy, I want to right up front here, just to be very clear, any personality style can be a great salesperson. And I also believe selling is the greatest income opportunity in the world. I mean, you want to level the playing field, open the door in, in, a, in a way that nothing else can, recognize your ability to sell. Now, let's go through the personality styles real quickly here. I mean, selling is simply, the way we describe it, it's sharing enthusiasm. So if you, uh, Joanna and I went to a really cool little restaurant last night called Crabe, brand new one down near where our daughter and her family live. And we went in and it was really a cool kind of vibe being in there. Joanna didn't enjoy the country music. She thinks we can't ever get away from country music, even though we don't live in Nashville anymore. Yeah, it, it's everywhere. But uh, aside from that, and of course, I enjoyed it anyway, but it, it was just a cool vibe being in there. Now, because of that, we're likely to tell 20 people about that. That's selling. You don't have to be any particular personality style to do that effectively. If you see a movie that you really enjoy, wow, you saw the new Top Gun and you tell 20 people the next day about it, you're selling. That's what it is. That's what true authentic selling is. It's sharing enthusiasm. Now that implies you're talking about something that you really enjoy, that you really believe in. So you don't try to be effective selling something that you don't believe in, that you wouldn't want yourself. That's just, 
hypocrisy. That's not going to work for anybody. I mean, you don't sell Mercedes if you're driving an old beat-up Ford and hide it out behind a building. You can't do it effectively. So, selling is shared enthusiasm. So, as a high I, I mean, that's the perfect style to move into relationship-oriented selling. So, there are certainly other career opportunities for somebody who's a high I. I mean, you could be in public relations. Uh, you could be a creative director. You could be a realtor. Is often a high I, a travel agent, artist, musician, graphic designer. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that would fit. But I want to talk about selling just real quickly here. No matter what your personality style is, don't think, don't say, gee, I can't sell. I'm not a good salesman because I'm a high C as an example. You know, I like detail analysis. I'm kind of shy. I like to stay behind the scenes. I certainly don't want to be on the stage anywhere in front of people. I don't want to be that in your face, you know, back slapping kind of guy that you envision as a salesperson. So let's take the high D. Now, with a high D, you know, we, we see that person as real outgoing, assertive, opinionated, could be a high pressure salesperson. Certainly doesn't have to be, but that person is going to do well in like selling cars or furniture or jewelry, kind of things where you're likely to have just one opportunity with a person, not over a long period of time, just one shot. Those kind of people are going to do well there. But let's say that you are more relationship oriented. So you're a high I often used as an example. So let's say that you are a Nike representative. So you're going to call on shoe store owners you're going to call on the same 23 people this week that you saw last week. You play golf with them. You go out to dinner with them. You know when their kids' birthdays are and how big the fish is they cost, caught last summer. I mean, that, that's relationship-oriented. So they trust you. You build that trust over a period of time. So you could be marketing that product because it's really based a lot on just the relationship that you have. All right, let's keep going. We take a high S. Somebody who is a little more behind the scenes, but they, they're loyal, dependable. You know, they like things that are set up well, that have good systems in place. Well, you could be a sales rep for an MRI machine. Now, with that, you know who your prospects are. It's not like you go out into a neighborhood and knock on 30 doors. Not at all. You know the 15 people in your community who would be very targeted as prospects to make the decision to purchase an MRI machine. So it's no surprise when you call on them. I mean, you sit down and go over, you know, what their goals are, what their budget is. You may do a detailed proposal for them, get that back to them, and they take six months to make a decision, but it's a million dollar decision. I mean, that would be a great fit for somebody who has an S personality. All right, now let's go to a C. Somebody who certainly, you know, typically is not going to see themselves as a salesperson. This is an architect, an accountant, you know, somebody who's really good with detail. So they're just, you know, behind the scenes making things work. Well, let's let's just take as an example. You start seeing, well, you you look up birdhouses, you know, on a Google app because you're you're uh, you know interested in putting something in your backyard. Well, you know what happens immediately. You start getting feeds in your social media feed, whatever it is, Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok, Facebook, you start getting feeds for, for birdhouses. 
The people who do that well know exactly how to get there. They've done the detailed analysis. They know the statistics about how to get those ads in front of you because you just looked up that information, you know, in a Google search. So they experiment, you know, they show you a red bird house and it's 1995. They show you a green bird house and it's 3450. You know, they'll experiment with colors, pricing. They know exactly what works. They work through a detailed process to get you to make a purchase and they can you know, make $200,000 and never see or talk to a customer. It's still selling, but it's done through systems rather than face-to-face engagement. Now, again, just so, so that's a, a quick overview, but I would encourage you, Adam, w- with your question, to not talk yourself out of being a salesperson. Just simply choose an opportunity that fits your personality as a high eye and rock and roll, man, take it to the bank. But again, I want to encourage those of you who may have another personality style, I don't care what it is, uh, don't overlook selling as an opportunity that would fit you really, really well. I don't know of anything that is, you know, open the door financially for me. And I, I'm a high D. I am that high D. I do enjoy car sales. I do enjoy that kind of selling. I enjoy being sold too by somebody who's a really experienced salesperson. All right, let's go to Nathan says, Hi, Dan, one of my HR clients recently asked me, how do we motivate and engage our older employees who only have a few years left before retirement? I suggested she find a way to ask what would they most like to contribute to make those remaining years the best ones yet, and then compare the answers. I also suggested there could be a mentorship opportunity for these individuals to share their technical and professional expertise with younger employees. Um, Then I cautioned to be careful not to let any obviously disengaged older employees act as mentors so they don't disengage the younger employees. I also suggested to make sure the older employees understand the young employees' goals will be different than their own, and that's okay. So with all the retention challenges in the workplace right now, I know older and tenured employees are more valuable now than ever before and that many organizations are likely asking the same question. Are there other suggestions you might add to engage an organization's most tenured employees? Yeah, great question, Nathan. I know you're quite young yourself, but uh, helping companies, you know, explore these training opportunities to, to recruit, keep, and engage employees. Now, the, the common thinking is that if a, a business owner is having a hard time getting employees or keeping employees, we just need to pay them more. You know, we've been told again and again and again, that's not the case. It's not just about pay. I mean, there was a recent study done by Gallup just a few months ago, and they reported that if people have an engaged manager, it would require at least a 20% increase in pay for that, that person to leave their job. Now, if employees have a disengaged manager, they'll leave for almost nothing. So there's one of the clues right there. To have an engaged manager, you'll keep people. Now, when I talk about the things to retain older employees, the real deal is it doesn't matter how old somebody is. It doesn't matter if they're 18 or 88. These are ways that will help you retain people. I mean, people quit for a lot of reasons, but 
Certainly the top ones, they're not happy with their manager. Uh, They don't see opportunities for career growth. Uh, The organization doesn't provide career guidance and mentorship. They find the organizational culture to be toxic. Boy, do I hear that one a lot. Just, you know, negative, angry, toxic people. They don't want to hang around them. And of course, we talk a lot about that here. You tend to become like the people you spend time with, so you may need to move on. Um, their work isn't valued, and they want a more flexible work, life, balance, and, and schedule. One of the things we found about COVID, where so many people worked from home, is that they, they got spoiled in recognizing, wow, this is pretty nice. Not to have a commute, not to have to be on a rigid schedule. Take a break when you want to. doesn't mean they're working less, but just the flexibility. Yeah, that's a big deal. So if you can embrace some of those things in the workplace, then you have a chance at keeping good people. Now, we know the cost of employee turnover is really, really high. I mean, you have to figure just on the low side that losing an employee is going to cost you one and a half to two times the annual salary of that person leaving. Now, there's a lot of ways we won't go into take the time to explain why, but that's certainly a realistic kind of rule of thumb. So if somebody's making sixty thousand dollars and that person leaves, it's going to cost the company one hundred twenty thousand dollars. I feel I've worked with a lot of companies over the years where we use that as kind of the basis for my consulting fees. How much is it costing you to lose somebody? If we reduced your turnover by ten percent then this is the money that it would save you. That's a great way to set up offering services to help them in that regard. So if you're talking about, Nathan, if you're talking about you know people who are a little older, you know, look for ways to have a support group for them in your workplace. And one of the things is to tell your workers you want them to stay. I mean, sometimes... Older workers don't really know. Am I valued? Am I trying? Are they, am I being pushed out? Um, you know, we we talked a couple of weeks ago about quiet quitting, where people do just the minimum to retain their job, just the minimum. And then we also talked about quiet firing, where companies don't reward a person; they you know mess with their schedule. They are pushing them out the door, not by firing them. But it's called quiet firing because they're doing the things that would make a person want to leave. Just make sure you aren't doing those things. You might offer flexible schedules. And that's one of the big things that people became spoiled with, flexible schedules. And in today's work environment, I mean, how often is it really required that somebody's there 40 hours? They may be able to do what they do, what their highest value is in 30 hours or 35. You know, we see a lot of companies going to four, 10-hour 10-hour days instead of, you know, five, eight-hour days. Well, you may be able to make that kind of change. There's a lot of nurses who have um, three 12s. They work three days a week, 12-hour shifts. So, you know, you may experiment with those kind of things. Offer a variety of benefits, you know, let these people choose the ones they want. You might experiment with a phased retirement where you do reduce hours slowly over a long period of time. So it delays having them there 40 hours one week and then zero. What if they did go to 30 hours and maybe 20 or 15, have a phased way out, could really make them feel valued and also help them help retain them. Now this is 
you know, I'd also encourage you, don't discontinue training and education. A lot of people think, well, this person's not going to be here three years from now, so why would we invest with them? You know, send them to a conference or a workshop training. You know, don't do that. Keep them fully engaged so they're not just kind of hanging on the outskirts. They're keeping them fully engaged. Now, again, these things are true no matter what the age is, but companies better be figuring these things out, ways to keep good people. I mean, it's one of the biggest challenge companies have today is this massive outflow of massive people quitting their jobs. And believe me, it's not just somebody looking for 50 cents an hour more. It's for people looking for these things that are inherent benefits of being involved in an organization. Hey, great question, Nathan. All right. Hey, we're going to continue here. We've got a couple more. We're going to go to these 56-year-olds, two 56-year-olds. We're going to talk about here what their situations are and what my recommendations are for them to move forward with confidence. But again, just a reminder, these are questions coming from you, the listeners. If you got a resource you want to share, some kind, something that you think would benefit the other listeners, I welcome those as well. But if you get your success story or your challenge, your question about moving forward with something you're dealing with, just go to 48days.com slash askdan, and you can leave it there. Now, Michael says, Dan, I'm a 48 Days Eagles member, podcast listener. Um, I really love your work. I need your help. I wanted to do something crazy. Now, check this out. Michael says, I lost my job on Monday, 919. So September 19th, just a few days ago. I'm great at getting jobs and can be working next week, but I want to instead give myself this extra time to focus on my business. In all caps. I'm going to get some dollars on October 20th for selling a condo. So that's just about 30 days from now. I have an idea I know will work, but I need help getting it to market. Can you recommend a coach to get me from notebooks of detailed plans to my own business if I've got the dollars? Talk about outside my comfort zone. I've worked full time for 40 years. I'm 56 now, and I want to make a living doing what I love with a freedom of time to spend with family. Bottom line, I'd like to never work for someone else ever again. Love what you're doing with the 48 Days Eagles, Mike. Well, <laughs> I, I love your, your sense of freedom outside of what you've been doing. I was listening to a, a podcast just this morning, and they were interviewing Vincent Puglisi, who has a great book out, Wealth of Connections. But he was talking about for, being 14 years old, and he wanted to go to a Mets game. And so he skipped school and rode the bus to the subway to the Mets game. Had just an amazing experience that he talks about in the first part of his book. But one of his one of the things that was really important is that he had the realization there's a whole world going on out there while I'm stuck in school. So it kind of reminds me of what well, you're describing this, Michael. You you suspect that there's a whole world out there outside of what you've been experiencing with traditional jobs for 48, for, for 40 years. Now you're 56. Want to make a living doing what you love with the freedom of time? Well, you can certainly do that. And yes, I've got just the coach in mind for you. You say you've got a lot of notebooks, you've got an idea. Yeah. You know, we, we've got wonderful, wonderful coaches. If you go to 48days.com and just look at the coaching tab, you'll see 
different ways there that you can engage. You can leave us some information and we find a coach that fits what it is you want to do. So that's the, the luxury of having a lot of coaches that we've certified as coaches so we can match what your needs are with that person. You know, we've got somebody who really specializes in helping people find new jobs. So if that's what somebody wants, they want to bring their resume up to date and know how to apply, how to interview in today's marketplace. We've got somebody who's really, really good at doing that. Now that's not me. I don't enjoy doing that at all, but we've got somebody who does just like here. You've got notebooks of detailed plans for your own business. Bingo. Yeah. I'll shoot you a note and let you know who I recommend for that. Now I'm also going to be talking about some of the things you can do as you're 56 and older based on this next situation here. Uh, this comes from Bob who says, well, tomorrow I start a new J O B. It really doesn't fit any of the three legs in my stool. The work is not my passion, doesn't utilize my talents, certainly doesn't make much money, and there's also no future advancement. I've been work, looking for work for over two years and just couldn't find anything. So my wife finally says, you know, apply here. So I did and was hired. The truth is they were desperate for a responsible person. They found me, but I'm not even sure I can do the work. Uh, most of my income over the past several years has come through real estate photography, um, but that market's been pretty slow recently. I had to find something else. As a result of the new work, the entire situation that has led to it, and listening to Earl Nightingale, The Strangest Secret, every day in August, and occasionally now in September, I've been thinking deeply about my situation, who I am, where I'm going at 56 years old. I never thought I'd find myself here, but here I am. My thinking in so many ways has definitely brought me here, but at 56, I don't know how to get away, although I deeply desire to do so. But I'm struggling with wondering if it's too late. So I'll see what happens next. I have this idea of helping people draw near to God through nature photography or simply through nature. But I'm having such a tough time grasping the idea that people would pay for such a thing. Or how do I make it into something people will buy? Anyway, that's where I'm at. Sorry to sound a bit negative, but I'm at a point of major self-reflection and feel uh, this is where I wanted to share what's on my mind. Well, thanks, Bob, for that. Uh, that's a situation that I'm sure a lot of people are saying, oh my gosh, that's me. You know, that's me. I'm in a, in a job that is not my passion, doesn't utilize my talents, doesn't make much money, no future advancement, but feeling trapped there. That is such a common, common malady. People feeling trapped. And a lot of people who have who have a JD behind their name or DDS, you know, attorneys, dentists, physicians, pastors, engineers, accountants, feel exactly that. By virtue of their academic background, they feel trapped in what they're doing. Well, you're not. Oh my goodness. There's so many ways to move out of that. So many ways to move out of that. I just recently, last week I was up in uh, near Indianapolis for a book release party for uh, Teresa McCoy with her new book, Do What Matters, Another story, but I met her spiritual director, a lady named Sybil Towner. Sybil's in her 80s, just a delightful lady. She and her husband, Dick, were there. They have a place, a 150-acre retreat center near over near Indianapolis. has a two-acre lake on it. Now, they you know, are, are, are not the kind of entrepreneurs that you would normally think of. They're spiritual directors, so they're very quiet, mild-mannered, just salt of the earth kind of people. 
but they have this property that's way out in the middle of nowhere, but people come there just to get away, to really get restored because they're out in nature. And then through conversations, you know, grow spiritually, emotionally, other kind of things. So I, I think there are a whole lot of ways, especially now where people really need the rest, the reprieve of being out of nature, being unplugged. One of the things that we did with a sanctuary in Tennessee for so many years is it got people away from concrete and asphalt, from high-rise buildings. Here we are in a cow pasture in Franklin, Tennessee, you know, where we had nature trails and zip lines and mulberry trees and an old truck where you could toot the horn on it and, you know, just things that people didn't experience in their normal day-to-day life. That in itself was energizing. It gave them kind of a break, kind of a mental and emotional break from the routine that they were used to and made them more open to new ideas, new ways of thinking. Their creativity was stimulated. So if you have ways to do that, Bob, I think that absolutely you can encourage people to do that, provide ways for them to experience that and to be compensated financially as well. Now, it also made me think about people, other people who got their start a little late. You know, 56, hey, maybe maybe 50 years ago, we considered that old. Today, we don't. There's a whole lot of people who are starting their best work. I mean, the people that I work with in coaching primarily are in their 50s. And in doing so, I tell them, okay, what you did got you here. That's fine. We're going to draw a line in the sand, take a fresh look at how God has uniquely gifted you. What are your passions, your skills, your talents, your dreams? What are those things? If we can get clear on those, then we can look at work, finding or creating work that embraces all those, and you can go into the most productive, profitable, meaningful, joyful 20 years of your life, easily. I mean, 20 years from now, it would only make you 76. Wow. So, Harry Bernstein spent a long time writing in obscurity, but finally achieved fame at age 96 for his 2007 memoir, The Invisible Wall, a love story that broke barriers. He was 96 when he wrote that. Now, you mentioned, Bob, in your writing here that you are a writer as well. There's so many people who as writers, thought leaders, and and the thing about that, you know, if you're laying railroad ties and you're 56, yeah, your productivity, your ability to do that well may start to diminish. But as a writer, a thinker, photographer, no, it can accelerate for the next 40 years from where you are. It'd be 40 years between where you are and where I just described Harry Bernstein, who wrote his big book, did so well, when he was 96 years old. Now, there was a lady named Anna Marie or Anna Mary Robertson Moses, and we, we know her as Grandma Moses, and I tell her story often. But as a little girl, she would paint, draw pictures, and people would do and ah. But then well-meaning people said, well, that's fine, but you've got to do something practical, something realistic, something people would pay you for. And so she became a secretary. She did that her entire working lifetime. At 78 years old, her husband died. And she thought, what do I want to do in my remaining years? And she remembered how much she had enjoyed painting as a little girl. She painted, and in 2006, one of her paintings sold for $1.2 million, that being far more money than she had generated in her entire working lifetime trying to be practical 
and realistic. And of course, we know the, the story about Colonel Harlan Sanders. He was 62 when he got his first Social Security check. He knew he could either learn to live on $107 a month or do something else. He started marketing his patented, well, it wasn't even patented, but his recipe for chicken. And in doing so, created millionaires all across the world. He sold his franchise business 12 years later. So that would have been when he was 74 for $2 million. And of course, that's been a few years ago when $2 million was a significant amount of money. <clears throat> Laura Ingalls Wilder spent her later years writing semi-autobiographical stories um, using her daughter as an editor. She published the first Little House books at age 65. And then, of course, they became literary classics for children and the basis for the TV show Little House on the Prairie. Ray Kroc spent his career as a milkshake device salesman before buying the McDonald's at age 52 and then grew it into the world's biggest fast food franchise. Julia Child worked in advertising media before writing her first cookbook. Again, we're talking about things that ordinary people are doing, not with a lot of specialized education background, but she wrote that at age 50 and it launched her career as a celebrity chef. Arianna Huffington founded Huffington Post at age 55. So it wasn't when she was young and she just had a gradual climb up to fame and fortune. No, she was 55 when she started that. And then she sold, sold that AOL for $315 million. Well, if you had a whole, a whole lot of others there, we don't need to go into all those. But I want to encourage you that where you are, now keep that job, that mindless, boring job, until you get a new plan put into place. You don't want to have to start something really creative when you're in a point of desperation. Now, keep the job. That's fine. It doesn't have to be your dream job. But if it brings in some kind of a piddly little paycheck, at least you'll get the gratification of doing that and come home and at least keep the lights on while you're planning. What are you going to do? But take that idea of photography, of introducing people to nature, of writing. I mean, there are seeds in each of those that have the potential to provide everything that you need and more. Allow wealth to flow through you, to be an encouragement to others as well. Man, I'm eager to hear your updated stories six months from now and what you're doing. Of course, you know me. I believe that 48 days is enough time to really go through where you are, where you want to be, and a plan to get there. All right, let's just wrap it up there. You know that uh, our goal worksheet is what I recommend. I recommend, again, you get started on that right away so you can start planning your goals September 28th. Have them completed by November 14th, which is then 48 days before January 1st. If you go through that sequence, you're going to experience a year in 2023 like you never have experienced before. It'll absolutely rock your world. If you're that clear about what you want to accomplish in multiple areas of your life. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks again for sending in your questions. You can do that again. You know, just go to 48days.com slash askdan. That's where you can leave your question. You can leave an audio question if you want to use the microphone there or write it out like a lot of people do. But thanks for those questions, for being open to growing, being a powerful force for making the world a better place. 
Again, share this with three of your friends who are also committed to personal growth. I mean, they'll thank you for that. Be that person who offers hope, encouragement, positivity to others. And stay committed to your belief, along with me, that we can. Again, man, I, I get so excited about the opportunities that are out there today. I can't stand it. We've got some things working in terms of business investment, things, the ideas that are bubbling up. I mean, just take just take one, one quick example. E-bikes. I, I have a new e-bike. I'm really excited about it. Done a little research on opportunities around that. There are 273 e-bike companies out there right now. I checked on Indiegogo. There are right now 63 new e-bike concepts that people are trying to raise money for. I mean, talk about a hot idea. Now, I don't know of any particular angle that I'm interested in getting into, but I'm just, I'm excited about seeing something that's new like that take off in such an explosive way. Ideas are like that. Ideas are hot. They're all around us. Hey, thanks for being created to do the work that you love. You can't do good work if you don't love it. We had that in our quotation. But thanks for believing with me that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.